Once upon a time, a long time ago, in the land that Yahweh gave to our forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Jacob, there was a man named Elimelech who made a very foolish decision. You see, a famine had struck our land and consumed nearly all of our crops, fearful that the conditions would worsen. Elimelech decided to do the unthinkable, to move his family from the promised land of God to the land of our enemies, the Moabites. I remember the day when they left town. I can still see Naomi trying to hold back the tears in her eyes. I remember their two little boys, Mahlon and Kilian, thinking that they were going on a great adventure with their father Elimelech. But no one knew was how much that adventure was going to cost them. Now at first, the green pastures of Moab seemed like the answer to all their problems. But for Naomi, there was a heaviness in her heart. She wanted to protect her sons, Mahlon and Kilion, from the terrible customs of the Moabites and from their god, Molech. You see, the people in those days offered child sacrifices to Molech. It was an honor to have the priest choose your son or daughter to throw into the fire before the hideous stone image of this god. One day, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, came in from the fields where he had been working. And something terrible seemed wrong with him. And suddenly, he just collapsed and he died. Naomi's heart was broken. Not only has she suffered the loss of her husband, but now she was left all alone to raise her two sons, Mahlon and Kilian. In a strange country, she did her best. But she could not stop the passions of youth. Both boys fell in love with two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Now, Orpah and Ruth loved Naomi. They treated her as though she were their own mother. Naomi taught them about the ways of her God, Yahweh, about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, about the law that God had given them, about the time that the wound in her heart was being healed from the loss of her husband. The unthinkable thing happened. Both her sons, Mahlon and Kilian, both fell dead before her. Oh, her soul withered within her. Her grief could not be contained. She wanted to go home to Bethlehem, back to where her people were, for God's hand, Yahweh's hand, was too heavy against her. 
her daughter-in-laws tried to convince her to stay in Moab. But she said, I'm going home. They said, well, if you are going home, then we are going with you. No, she said, you're still young. You can still marry, have a husband. Will you wait for me if it were possible to have more children? And if I could have more children and sons, would you wait for them to grow up, to marry them? Of course not. Ridiculous. You go back to your people and back to your gods. Orpah kissed her on the cheek and walked away. But not Ruth. No, Ruth hung on to Naomi as though she were hanging on to her own life. I will not leave you. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Naomi could not argue. She was too weak and tired. And so they began their journey to Bethlehem. One day in Bethlehem, there was somebody standing by the city gates looking across the horizon when they saw two foreigners coming. Strangers. Who are they? Curiosity drew a crowd. I, I see one is short and one is tall. They're, they're both women. Wait a minute. I think one of those women is Naomi. No. Yes. Look. <gasps> ah, it is Naomi. Wait a minute. Who's the tall woman? It looks like a Moabite. No. Yes, it's a Moabite. Look. What is a Moabite doing in the land of Israel? Is she a spy? Naomi, welcome back to Bethlehem. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. You will call me Mara, which means bitter, for the hand of Yahweh has been bitter against me my life ever since I left Bethlehem. No one spoke a word to Ruth. They just looked at her with suspicion. Naomi and Ruth passed through the small crowd and came back to their abandoned homestead, which was in great need of repair. Ruth wondered how she could help her mother-in-law. Ruth was unusual in that she did not think so much of herself, but she thought of Naomi. Naomi had lost her husband, and Naomi had lost both her sons. Ruth learned of a custom that Jews have in their law. When a woman's husband dies, a poor person is allowed to go into the harvest and pick up the leftover grain. So she decided to get a basket and observe this custom. She chose the field of a man named Boaz. And she began to pick up the leftover barley on the ground. The young men who were working in the field noticed how beautiful Ruth was and began to entertain some bad ideas in their mind. That's when Boaz showed up. Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that woman working in my field, that stranger? Oh, that is Ruth, the Moabite, who has come with Naomi. Really? 
He had a bit more conversation with his foreman, and then he went for Ruth. Young lady, he said, I want to welcome you to my fields. From now on, only gather grain in my fields. I have instructed my young men to make sure they do not harass you. And whenever you are thirsty, please drink from the jars of water that they have gathered. Ruth was taken back by the kindness of Boaz. Why are you being so kind to me? A stranger and a foreigner in your land. Boaz was attracted to Ruth's character. The fact that she had left all that was familiar to her. To come here to the land of Bethlehem. To embrace his people and to embrace his God. He invited her to have lunch with him. He gave her the delicacy of roasted grain and extra to take home. He told his men to make sure that they left, especially for her, extra grain on the ground. His men could not help but notice that their boss was strangely interested in the beautiful woman from Moab. That night, Ruth went home to Naomi with a basket so full of grain. Naomi was surprised. Where did you get all that grain? Ruth told her, I was working in the field of a man named Boaz. And at that name, Naomi had a big smile on her face. Hope as a spark returned to her eyes. Ruth could not help but notice. Boaz is our next of kin, Ruth. He is what is called the kinsman redeemer. Ruth had no idea what the kinsman redeemer was. But she loved the fact that finally Naomi was smiling again. Naomi said to Ruth, you must do everything that Boaz tells you. Make sure you only work in his field. You'll be safe that way. He's interested in you. So Ruth worked for the entire harvest season, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest in the fields of Boaz. And She always had plenty of grain. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, Ruth, you need to settle down and have a life for yourself. Have you noticed how interested Boaz is in you? I think he's in love. Now, listen to me, dear. I have a plan. You are going to observe what is called the right of the kinsman redeemer. You see, in our law and our culture, when a woman's husband dies and there's no male heir, then the next of kin should marry her. They should conceive, and if they have a son, the son becomes the heir, and the name of the family lives on. Boaz is your kinsman redeemer. You must propose to him. Here is how you do it. I want you to take a very long bath. And get your skin nice and soft. Then I want you to put on the most expensive perfume so that you smell real good. And then dress up in your most beautiful dress. Now here's what you will do. You will go to the threshing floor where Boaz and his men are threshing their grain. Don't let Boaz see you. Wait until he's finished eating and drinking. Watch where he lays down. And wherever he lays down, wait until he falls asleep. 
then I want you to sneak up to his feet and lift up the blanket and expose his toes and then just lay there. The whole thing sounded strange to Ruth. These Jewish customs are not like the Moabite customs. But when in Israel, do as the Israelites do. So she left for the threshing floor. Very quietly, she spotted where Boaz was, waited for him to eat and drink and lay down. And when he had fallen asleep, she snuck up on his feet and began to turn over the blanket slowly, carefully, until finally she had exposed his toes. And then she waited. And she waited. And she waited. (laughs) Finally, Boaz turned over. He noticed the cold air on his feet. He sat up, grabbed the edge of his blanket, and as he proceeded to put it over his feet, their eyes met, and he whispered, Who's there? It's Ruth, your maidservant. Please spread the corners of the blanket over my head and be my kinsman redeemer. She waited to see what Boaz would do. She had rehearsed those words that Naomi had given her over and over. Boaz smiled. Ah, oh Ruth, you are a woman of virtue. You could have gone after a young man, but you have done the right thing. But I must tell you, Ruth, I am not your nearest kin. There is another man. And if he wants to marry you, you will have to become his wife. But I will do whatever I can. And if the man refuses, I will marry you. Now, sleep here. The next morning, Boaz got Ruth up before anybody else gave her extra grain and said, go home. Don't let anybody see you or they will think the wrong thing. So Ruth went home to Naomi, who wanted to know everything. (laughs) Boaz went to the city gates where official business was conducted. He saw the nearer relative and called him over to sit down. He asked for ten leaders of the city to witness the proceedings. He said to the relative, You are the next of kin to Naomi's husband who has passed away. Naomi is going to sell her land. You are obligated to buy it. If you don't, I will buy it. The man thought to himself for a minute, This is a good proposition. I will buy the land for Naomi. When Naomi dies, the land will be mine. I will increase my estate. Yes, Boaz, I will buy the land. Fine, said Boaz. Oh, but there's one more thing. There's a woman who comes with the land. The widow of Mahlon, the deceased son of Elimelech. You will have to marry her. Conceive, and if God blesses you with a male child, the male child will receive the inheritance. Oh, thought the closer relative. Hmm, maybe I am not so interested now. Actually, I think this may not work for me. Boaz, you buy the land and you marry the woman. 
and the leaders ratified the deal. Now, in all of Israel, there were no two women more anxious about the proceedings than Ruth and Naomi. The question for them was, who is going to become Ruth's husband, this relative of Boaz? They held hands. They bowed their heads. And they prayed, oh, Yahweh, granted in your mercy that Boaz will become the husband of Ruth. Do you want to know what happened next? I will read to you from the official record. It says in the book of Ruth, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and took care of him. The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Have you ever wondered why God puts certain stories in his book, like the story of Ruth? I mean, Ruth isn't a book that pastors preach on very often. People look at the book of Ruth kind of like a Hallmark movie. Right now is like big Hallmark movie season. And uh, my, my wife loves the Hallmark channel. Because like there's this Christmas marathon of Hallmark movies going on right now. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but they all have the same plot line. Somebody dies and gets really sick. And the tissues come out. And then there's like this hero who comes and, you know, and rescues the, the, the person who's left or the person who's really sick. They nurse him back to life. And then the hero almost dies. But some miracle happens and they survive. And everybody gets married and lives happily ever after. And my wife loves those movies. How many of you, how many of you Ladies love the Hallmark movies. Let me see your hand. Look at that. Yeah, let's see. All right now, here's the, like, here's the moment of truth. How many of you men love the Hallmark movies? Let's go ahead. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Okay. How many of you men who just raised your hand were forced to by your wife? Let me see. Or your girlfriend, all right? Yeah, it's all right. My wife loves those, and she tries to get me to watch them, and I will watch about three minutes. And then I tell her what the ending's going to be, because they're so absolutely predictable, Right? Is that, why, is that why the story of Ruth is in the Bible? To be a hallmark moment? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So why is it there? Is it there to teach us the consequences of making a bad decision? Because Elimelech made a really bad decision. He should have known better. He should have stayed in Bethlehem. 
and not gone to the land of the idolatrous Moabites. But that's what he chose to do. And he and his son suffered greatly because of that horrible decision. Is that why it's there to teach us not to make bad decisions, to not, diso- to not disobey God? Is that why the story's there? No. I mean, that's, that's true. You need to listen to God. And, and when you go against God's word, against God's ways, there's a consequence. But that's not why the story's there. Well, is the story there then to teach us that God can take our messes that we make and still bring good out of them? Because God certainly brought good out of Elimelech's disobedience. I mean, look at Ruth. Her life was changed. I think that's one reason why we could look at the story of Ruth to see how God can take the worst circumstances and bring good out of them. But I don't think that's even the reason why The story of Ruth is in God's book called the Bible. So why is it there? I think we're given a clue in the last verse of the book of Ruth where it says, Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Remember, Boaz is the one who marries Ruth. Gives birth to Obed, whose father Jesse, who becomes the father of David, that is King David. And here's my question Who was King David the father of? And Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 answers that for us. It says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you know that? I thought Jesus was the son of God. Yes, he was and is the son of God. Well, how could he be the son of David? Because God had made a promise to David that there would always be a descendant who would reign forever on his throne. And when Jesus came to this earth and took on human flesh, he took on the flesh that came from the lineage of Judah, which passed through David, of which Ruth became a part You say, is that why the story is there? Is that story there in order to tell me about the ancestry of David and therefore the human ancestry of Jesus? Yes, in part, but that's not really why the story is fully there. You say, well, why is that story really there then? I think the story is there because, listen, the story of Ruth is actually your story and my story. See, how how is that? Because the story of Ruth is really the story of how God loves strangers and foreigners. And everybody here, everybody here this morning has been, or maybe still is, a stranger or a foreigner from God's grace. Separated from God by our sinfulness, which we were born in. And just as Boaz redeems Ruth and makes her a part of the Israelite family and grafts her into this wonderful lineage that will lead up to Jesus. When Jesus came to earth and then died on the cross, he died for our sins, your sins and my sins in order that we could be redeemed by God and brought into God's family and belong to God and be part of of his family. I don't know about you, but All of us, all of us have an inner longing to belong, don't we? 
That was so strong in me when I was a, when I was a young boy and we'd come back from the mission field. I wanted to belong so bad at school. I wanted to belong to a circle of friends. And yet I was always alienated. I remember wanting the girls to like me as a young boy. I just wanted, you know, I just wanted girls to pay attention to me. And I remember being made fun of by the girls. And I just remember how, how lonely and isolated I felt. And there are so many people like that in our culture, both young and old. I mean, think about this for a minute. Who are the people in your life that God has put in your life at school, at work, or maybe even in your family, who are, in a sense, strangers, alienated from God. They're estranged from God. They're estranged from God's love. They're estranged from God's grace. Who are those people in your life? Those of you who are students, who's that kid at school that everybody makes fun of? You know, the one that looks and acts like a nerd, dresses differently, acts differently, the loner, the one that everybody else makes fun of. That's really easy for you to make fun of. Maybe that person's actually you. But who is that person? Maybe God's calling you to befriend them. Maybe God's calling you to be Boaz in their life, be Jesus in their life, and to let them know that they matter, to let them know that God loves them. Who's that person at work? You know the person I'm talking about. There's always one at every job that everybody else talks about. Sometimes they earn that situation because they're jerks. They really are. And that's why everybody talks about them and treats them the way they do. But, you know, Ultimately, they are isolated because of their habits, because of their attitude, and they know that they don't fit in, and they know how everybody feels about them. Maybe God's calling you to reach across to them and show God's grace and let them know that God loves them, and they don't have to be a stranger to God. That their lives have value and matter. Maybe it's somebody in your family, the black sheep in your family. Every family has one. You know that person who's rebelled? That person who just has a contrarian attitude towards you, towards the family, towards God. Maybe it's the way they dress. Maybe it's the way they act. Maybe it's what they do and they kind of are out on the fringe here. Maybe God's calling you to step out of the family and reach out to them and let them know that their life matters. I'm really sorry to say this, but the church, the church, especially here in America, you know, the conservative evangelical church, we have a, we have a habit of judging people. And alienating them and building walls against them when they don't look and act like us. We have a habit of looking like a closed-in group that people cannot penetrate. And we make people feel like strangers and foreigners. And I just say, I just look at that and I go, that is so contrary to what God wants. That is so contrary to the gospel. When we behave and act that way, we're nothing like the church. We're nothing like God. Because God loves strangers. God loves foreigners, and all of us at one time were strangers and foreigners separated from God by our sin. And the only reason God left you and me here, the only reason why he left the church here, is to make a difference, is to continue to bring people and introduce them to God so that they know that God loves them and God cares so much for them. There's no other reason why we're here, folks. Otherwise, God would have taken us home a long time ago. And it's so easy for us to get closed in and inward focused. And I'm thankful for the Compass Church 
here in 111th because I sense we're really trying not to be that way. We're trying to be authentic Christ followers. We're trying to make Christ known to others. We don't want anybody to feel like a stranger, a foreigner. And I know it still happens because we're not perfect. I understand that. But we got to work hard at that. And that's ultimately what Christmas is really all about as we start this season, right? It's about letting people know how much God loves them that he went to the length of sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for them, to sacrifice his life for them so that they could be included in his family. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. I just want to read a couple of verses to you. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. I really love that verse. Because it says, Dale, you were far away at one time. You were alienated. You were a foreigner, a stranger. But God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has brought you near to himself. Verse 17. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near Far away are the Gentiles, the near people were the Jews. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Our Christmas series is entitled, I'll Be Home for Christmas. We all think about home at Christmas, and one of the symbols of home is a place to belong, isn't it? We all long at Christmas time. We all long for a place to belong. And the place where we should feel the most that we belong is in the church of Jesus Christ. Because there we should find people who love God and love others. People who are so overjoyed that God has included them in his family that they want to reach out to all those other foreigners, those strangers separated from God by sin and bring them in to be part of the family. That's what we're all about. And that's what this season is all about. And we we honor God the most and we glorify him the most when we care about the people he so cares for. Those who are estranged from his love that he sent his son for. Would you bow your heads right now? Just close your eyes where you are, please. Maybe you're here today and you're the stranger. Maybe you feel estranged from God, a foreigner. I don't know why you feel that way. Maybe others have made you feel that way. I'm sorry. Maybe the church has made you feel that way. I'm very sorry. But you know right now, you know right now that, that you're separated from God by your sin, by your imperfections. You know that there's no relationship there. And you so want that. You so want in. You so want God in your life. Listen, right now, today, you can become part of God's family. I want you to think of your hand right now as your faith. God's arms are open. He would like you to stretch your f- faith out and put your trust in his son. So the heads bowed right now. If you're here and you've never, never accepted Jesus in your heart, then right now, would you just slip your hand of faith up toward God and pray this prayer with me. Young or old, it does not matter. For our youth, it doesn't matter. Right now, right where you are, who cares what anybody else thinks? Pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I am a stranger 
I'm separated from you by my sin. Please forgive my sin. Today I'm putting my trust in you. I want to be part of your family. I want to live for you. Please accept me. If you prayed that prayer today, when the service is over, and I invite you to come to the guest center, our guests to come there, would you come to shake my hand and say, I prayed the prayer. Just say that to me. I prayed the prayer because I want to encourage you and I want to pray for you personally. But you know, as we um, get ready to leave this place today, I'd like to challenge you. You can raise your hands. I'd like to challenge you to think of that one person in your life right now who you just, you just sense they feel estranged from God. Maybe they feel, maybe, they, maybe they, to you, they, they just seem like the odd person out. Would you write their name on a post-it note? Maybe you don't know their name, but you see them, so write where you see them. And for the entire Christmas season, would you pray for them every time you see that post-it note? Put it someplace where you'll see it. I blog about that yesterday. Put it someplace where you see it. And ask God to open the door for you to actually be able to engage that person in a conversation. Start out with a smile, with a word of encouragement. And ask God to create an opening for you to invite them to come and join us at some point this Christmas season. And maybe even be willing to take them out for coffee and just get to know them and let them know that God doesn't desire anyone to be a stranger. But for all to know the love of his son. The song says, O come ye, O come all you faithful. Will we be faithful to make him known to the strangers of this world? Let's worship together. Would you stand and uh, let's sing that wonderful song that we sang earlier today.